you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Today's passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1-13. to 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. G'day, City on a Hill, Melbourne West. Great to be with you today. My name is Dave Horn. Uh, I am on staff at City on a Hill, Melbourne. And I'm three months away from graduating from Ridley College, uh, so it's a fun time to be me. Uh, It's great to be with you uh, preaching this morning. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13, and uh, and you might have heard this passage before. You might have heard it yesterday, in fact, uh, as your pastor, Luke Nelson, preached for City on Hill Digital. And I'm very grateful that he invited me to be part of the West Weekly, uh, but I think he might have done it knowing that... uh, knowing that he will look a little bit better in comparison, but I don't even care because I'm taking what I can get at this point. So uh, great to be with you and looking at 1 Corinthians 13 again. Uh, while you turn in your Bibles, if you've got your Bibles there, turn open, turn it open to 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, while you do that, I wonder if you recognize these words. You ready? You have so many relationships in this life, but only one or two will last. You go through all the pain and strife and then you turn your back and they're gone so fast. Oh yeah, they're gone so fast. Yeah, yeah. No? Okay, Um, let me try again. Maybe I'll sing them this time. You ready? You have so many relationships in this life, but only one or two will last. You go through all the pain and strife, you turn your back and they're gone so fast. Oh yeah. Gone so fast, yeah, yeah. Still no idea, right? Okay, I knew that wouldn't work. They are the words to the 1997 smash hit by Hanson, Mbop. You've probably heard those words a hundred times, but you may not have recognised them even after me singing them. Uh, Today we're looking, as I said, at 1 Corinthians 13. and, uh, And if you've been a Christian for a while or you've been to Christian weddings a few times, you may have heard this passage read out quite a bit. Um, but I imagine, I'm going I'm to guess that your relationship with 1 Corinthians 13 is probably a lot like your relationship with Mbop. 
you know, you know the chorus, uh, but that's about it. You, I don't think you could tell me what 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 or verse 13 is about, but you know verse 4, that's the one that says love is patient and kind and all of that. So you probably don't know the context of why Paul is writing to the Corinthians, just like you don't know what the heck Mbop is about. And listen, I've read the lyrics. I still don't know what it's about. Uh, but by the end of this sermon, you will have a better idea of what Paul is trying to say, how verse 4 fits within chapter 13, and how chapter 13 fits within the letter of 1 Corinthians. Uh, so let's explore that why. Why has Paul written this verse, these verses in this letter to these people? But before we look at why this chapter exists, we need to ask a preliminary question. Okay, it doesn't exist because Paul happened to be at a wedding ceremony and just wrote down what was said there. No, um, for us to understand that, we have to, uh, we have to ask another question first. And that question is, what is a church? What is a church? Uh, I'd love you to take just a couple of seconds to think how you would describe a church to someone who's never heard of it or been a part of a church before. Have a think, how would you describe it? Because it's not really a special interest club. Uh, it's, it's not an event. The church is, it's not a, a network of social elite. No, the church is actually a lot like a family. Uh, we call each other brother and sister. We pray to our father. Uh, we even fight a little bit like family. But at the end of the day, uh, we still have to sit next to each other. Uh, we have to sit next to each other at dinner. We have to do the dishes with each other. We have to um, watch each other's TV shows. We have to share each other's PlayStation remotes. We have to listen to each other's music through the walls. Um, it's a lot like a family. We need to understand that the church, like the family, is not a human construct because no human heart would naturally bind itself to multiple other people that they didn't get to choose. Our hearts are selfish and selfish hearts don't invent churches. The concept of church is given to us by God. See, in Corinth and in many other places uh, in the first century, the church is still a foreign concept, still a new concept. This is the first church that many of these people will have ever been a part of and belong to. You and I have 2,000 years of ecclesiology or churchology to build on, but at this point in history, in Corinth, church wasn't really a category for an organisation or an institution. It was easy to say what a church wasn't than what it was. So the majority of this letter, the whole letter from Paul to the Corinthians, uh, is helping them to understand the concept of church. The first use of the word church uh, in, the, in the New Testament is in Matthew when Jesus says these words to Peter, On this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then Peter replied, come again. What was, what was that word you just used? Can you elaborate a little bit on that? No, that's not what Peter said. And we don't get any explanation by what uh, Jesus meant when he said church. So here we are living in the year 2020. We must do two things to figure out what Jesus saw in his mind when he said the word church. The first thing we must do 
what we can do is to deconstruct the Greek word that Jesus actually spoke and that he used, and that is the word ecclesia. Ecclesia um, literally just means the called out ones, the called out ones. We'll talk about that a little bit later. The second thing is to see how other writers of scripture uh, describe the church, what they, how they describe the church, and then what they prescribed, prescribed the church to do and to be. And that's what we get in 1 Corinthians 13 in this chapter. Uh, it is a prescription by Paul to the church in Corinth. And it is crucial for our understanding today of what a church is. If this chapter wasn't there, uh, we would suffer the same fate as the Corinthians by positioning the church amongst other um, clubs or groups or religions of our day. But as we'll see today, the church needs its own category. It needs to be treated differently because the church is not built even on a shared appreciation for Jesus but rather is a collection of people that God is calling out from the world and to himself. That's what the church is. So when you realize that you were called out and that you were passive in being, the, in being part of the church and that you're here because Jesus died to save you and the Holy Spirit draws you to God, you're passive in all of that. That should shatter social hierarchies that might be present within the church and open up a way for you to love others the way that you have been loved. This chapter is all about love, Christian love, church love. And it will teach us three things about love. Number one, that love is foundational. Number two, that love is relational. And number three, that love is eternal. Love is foundational. Love is relational. Love is eternal. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to the gym when someone with a huge ego is lifting weights. Uh, they normally try and lift way more than they should. They pick up dumbbells that are way too heavy. They put too many plates on the bar. They make a lot of noise for some reason when they're lifting. And their technique, technique is terrible. And then at the end, they drop the weights just to, just to prove to everyone, guys, gravity still exists, okay, apparently. Um, they do all of that. Oh, they do all of that. And then they, after they put the weights down, they sort of swagger around the gym, huffing and puffing. And you're thinking, Dave, you know a lot about this. Yes, I do. Um, they do this to try and impress you, to make you think that they are stronger than they actually are. They are not there at the gym to build real, true strength. They are there to boost their ego. And this is the same sort of thing that we see Paul addressing in the church at Corinth um, about how they are using their spiritual gifts. Take a look at the last line of chapter 12. The last line of chapter 12, Paul finishes talking about about spiritual gifts. And then he says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. He's like, you, you guys are mucking around with spiritual gifts. I've got something better for you, something more excellent. And they're probably thinking, oh, here we go, Paulie boy, you're going to give us a few more of those uh, spiritual gifts, are you? And then this is what he says to them. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, and they're thinking, yeah, now we're talking. He says, but have not love 
I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. See, he totally sits them on their backside here. He totally deflates their tires and he totally schools them and basically says the equivalent of, all right, you guys, let's start with the alphabet. The Corinthians have totally missed the point of spiritual gifts, but also of church. The church is not a gym. The church is not a gym. You don't turn up to church to be seen or to take selfies or to put your headphones on and to get in touch uh, with your own learning, to concentrate on your own learning and yourself. The church is a family that lovingly serves one another and points each other to Christ. Church is not a platform for you to demonstrate your holiness or your status or even your gifts and talents. You can use them, please use them, please do, but use them to benefit others, not to put yourself on display. We know this because of the really strong language that Paul uses about turning the church into Corinth's got talent. Have a look. Tongues, prophecy, knowledge, faith, when separate from love, make me of no use, Paul says. Works and martyrdom without love do not profit me, says Paul. He's saying if you could lift a mountain off its foundation or make amazing mathematical discoveries about the universe, but you don't have love, It may gain you some Instagram followers, but it doesn't matter to God. It makes no difference for the kingdom of God. You could have faith to make gold dust appear on the ground or diamonds drop from the roof, but if you don't have love, your miracles don't actually progress the mission of God. Paul says that you are nothing and that you gain nothing if all you have is gifts. James writes in James 2.17 that faith without works is dead. But here, Paul writes that faith and works without love are dead. So I want to speak to my reformed brothers and sisters, theologians, academics. Where are our arguments about this? Where are the smug memes about love? Where are the rants about love? We love looking down our noses at others and spouting our our solas and our tulips. But as my good friend Fergie once said, where is the love? And until you are in fact able to locate the love, then we are nothing and we are gaining nothing. So I hope you see that as a Christian, your gifts are not for you, but are for others. They must be exercised from a foundation of love for other. You need to ask yourself, are you exercising your gifts from a foundation of self-promotion or a foundation of selfless love? Are they a demonstration or a contribution? 
If someone says, hey, please don't exercise your gifts in that way, do you get offended and snap back or do you say, oh, sorry, I was just trying to help? The appropriateness of a spiritual gift for a church setting has very little to do with its quality and a lot to do with its motivation. But love, love is always appropriate. Paul has told the Corinthians that they need love. It's foundational to who they are as a church, as the church. And here he goes on uh, to tell them what love is. Let's have a look at verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This love that was absent 2,000 years ago in the church of Corinth is by and large still absent in the church today, at least the churches that I've been to today. Uh, It's rare to see this type of love that Paul is talking about, even within the church. This is no flimsy love. This is no Hollywood love. This is no, oh, we held hands and kissed and it was the best night of my life because I got tingles. Love. This is supernatural love. By that I mean this is the type of love that doesn't naturally reside within you and I. This is supernatural love and it needs to be cultivated within us by God. Love is patient and kind. Let's have a look at that. Love is patient and kind. Patience and kindness are the passive and active sides of the same coin. You see, patience endures anger and kindness extinguishes it. Patience endures anger and kindness extinguishes it. How many of us, when we are met with angry people uh, on social media or in public, or at the dinner table, meet their emotion, their anger with patient endurance and counter it with kindness. That's what Paul is talking about. That's the type of love that should be present in the church. Let's take a look at verse 7. Love bears all things. That means it's strong. Love believes all things. That means it's trusting Love hopes all things. That means it's optimistic and maintains perspective. Love endures all things. That means it's resilient. A lot of people get into a bad habit uh, when they are trying to find a church. And that is that they leave far too quickly. How many churches have you been to and then left a week or a month or a year later? Maybe your part of City on a Hill, Melbourne West, but you don't go very often because you don't like the people. You can say that. Um, you can think it at least. Don't don't tell anyone else. If this sounds a bit like you, I'm going to I'm going to guess that you struggle to love others like this with this sort of love, because this love is strong love that trusts from the outset that points your brothers and sisters optimistically to a future with Jesus and that doesn't get offended easily. This is rare but vital love 
for the church, for your church, for City on a Hill, Melbourne West. It is vital that this love is present amongst you, the church. Some of us might walk into a service uh, and leave saying, oh, that church is nothing like what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. I didn't see any of that love on display. But in many cases, that would be a gross misuse of this verse. See, Paul isn't writing this verse to help you break up with your church, but to help you stay together. This love should make leaving a church community a very slow and hard process. You see, it is as much, it is as much the church's responsibility to extend this love to you as it is for you to extend it to others. The Corinthian church is a mess, right? But Paul doesn't tell them to find another church. He doesn't tell them to break off into a little clique and retreat into a holy huddle. No, his advice to them in, for being in such a messy church is love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Uh, here's a picture of me 10 years ago. Dashing young lad that I was. Here's a picture of me 27 years ago on my way to a play school concert, I believe. Uh, I wonder if as you look at uh, these snapshots of my life, you can say, yeah, that's him. I can tell from those pictures, that's definitely him. Same squinty eyes, probably. Uh, there are some things that have stayed the same. Even personality-wise, some things have remained. But more than the similarities, it's easy to see the differences. Physically, yes, quite different through those photos. But trust me when I say there's also differences emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. I'm still Dave, but I'm a very different Dave to both of those that you saw. In verse 8 to 13, Paul is telling the Corinthians that as time passes, some things will remain and other things will change and disappear. But he isn't referring to the physical effects of aging, uh, but rather that is a metaphor for the process of spiritual maturity. There's two words that uh, would be helpful and important for you to know that are going to help you understand what Paul is unpacking here. Those two words are sanctification and glorification. Sanctification is the process of being made perfect. Glorification is the state of being perfect. So what Paul is saying is that as you mature, that is, as God sanctifies you and makes you more like himself, things will change. We are not now as we should and will be in the future. God sanctifies us, changes us through the internal work of his spirit for the purpose of preparing us for glorification. That is, he's preparing us to be with him in glory. Paul then writes in verse 13 that faith and hope are great for this life but they have no purpose in heaven, in glory. But love is different. Love, unlike faith and hope, uh, love is for this life and the next. Now, I don't want to talk trash on faith and hope uh, because they have wonderful utility here and now. Uh, faith and hope help us 
while our vision is dim and our knowledge is partial. Look at verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. They are strong. Faith and hope are strong. You can hold on to hope and faith in God with two hands. They are of God just as love is of God. But they have a shelf life that love does not. God has graciously given us faith and hope uh, while our vision and knowledge is partial. But the day is coming when we're gonna we're throwing off our faith and our hope like glasses and a wheelchair and we will run to Jesus in love. We're leaving behind the glasses and the wheelchair of faith and hope and running in love because love never stops. Love never ends. Love continues beyond this life and into the next. Love is eternal. Love will be the foundation of our lives in heaven. We know that in heaven we'll be with God And then uh, we know from elsewhere in scripture that God is love. We cannot separate God and love. Where God is, love is. Uh, I don't know computer programming, so this may not make sense. Um, But love is the code of heaven. Uh, It's the DNA. It's the atom. It's the law. It's the foundation. And it's the love of heaven that is to be uh, dealt out by Christians in the church today, here on earth. That pure quality of selfless, others-centered love is to be seen and felt and given and received by all Christians as an arrow that points towards what is to come in heaven. So to answer the big question that I think a lot of you might have, can I still use 1 Corinthians 13 at my wedding? The answer is yes. And at your funeral and at your birthday and in your gospel community and at the pub with the boys and at the girls weekend away. You see, uh, better than reading about it though, better than talking about 1 Corinthians 13, live it. Live this love. Paul never intended for the Christians to memorize it, put it on a magnet and slap it on their fridge and be done with it. No, he expected the Corinthians to be transformed by it and that that individual transformation within each one of them would bring about corporate church-wide transformation. You see, it has to be transformative in our own hearts and then in our churches before we can expect it to be transformative out there in culture. So don't look at others and say, oh, they clearly haven't been transformed by the supernatural love of Christ. Because this is Christian love. This is church love. This is the love of Christ. They won't necessarily have it. It's a sign of spiritual maturity. So teach them what that love is all about rather than judging them. God wants the church, including City on a Hill, Melbourne West, to love each other like Jesus loves you. The love of Jesus is the love that Paul is prescribing to the Corinthians. So you might have the question, well, how does, how does Jesus love me? What is, what is the evidence of Jesus' love? 
He loves you in so many ways. Uh, Number one, he created you. He showed his love by creating you. Number two, by giving you a community, a family, friends, the church. By blessing you with work, good weather, food, coffee, sport, flowers, the North Melbourne kangaroos. All of these are evidences of most of these evidences for Jesus' love for you. And most of all, Jesus demonstrates his love for you by saving you, by saving you. The cross is not the only place that God demonstrates um, that God displays his love for you, but it is the most extravagant way. By leaving his throne in heaven to descend into the domain of the creation that he created and to be put to death like a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus went to the cross in innocence so that our guilt could be paid for. That's love. You see, Jesus' death isn't just something that you remember and you go, oh, that's nice. It is the greatest display of love that the world has ever seen. And not mushy love, but violent, deep, extravagant, sacrificial love. And that love is something that should be evident in each of us as we grow more and more like Christ. I should be able to look at you if you call yourself a Christian and see that same love for others in you that led Christ to die for you on the cross. Because when you call yourself a Christian, when you call yourself a Christian, you're telling others that when they look at you, when they interact with you, they should see Christ. His death is not just a historical statement, but it's a mark of the quality of love that should be exhibited in the lives of Christians. When Christians gather together, that love should be on display. For unbelievers, they should look at you and City on a Hill Melbourne West and say, oh, church equals love. They won't know the story of Jesus uh, and that we are actually mirroring his love, but they can see that love of his lived out in the lives of the church. When you love someone who is beautiful, rich and famous and well-connected, that doesn't display this type of love. This love that God wants you to have in your lives and in your church and that Paul wanted the Corinthians to have is the love that continues even when the other person doesn't deserve it because that is Christ-like love. Every time you love someone in a way that they don't deserve, you are preaching the gospel to them. You're reminding them of the supernatural love of Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm going to pray for you now uh, that you would grow in that supernatural love. Uh, I'd encourage you to, wherever you are, to close your eyes and bow your heads as I pray for you um, and over you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we humbly repent of getting this wrong. We value spiritual gifts over love. We value excellence over love. We value our ego over love. We value knowledge over love. Father, forgive us. Creating us a new heart, enable us to love each other like we have been loved. 
Help us to preach the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection to each other by the way that we love. Lord, give my brothers and sisters of Melbourne West here. Give them strength. Give them trust, hope and resilience in their relationships. Holy Spirit, sanctify your children as you prepare us all for glory. Fill us with that supernatural selfless love for the other that only comes from you. And we ask this in the mighty, beautiful, lovely name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.